Welcome to Cape and Ray Hall, nestled in the beautiful landscapes between England's national parks. As a Bible school, we offer short-term courses aimed at fostering your spiritual growth and living in a community. Our historic manor house has something for everyone. You can enjoy indoor and outdoor adventures. Connect with students from around the world and learn how to deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ. Search Cape and Ray England for more information. The Profile You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Well, good afternoon and welcome along to The Profile. I'm Justin Briley, Senior Editor of Premier Christianity magazine. And this is the show where we bring you people in all kinds of walks of life to talk about their faith, about projects they're working on. And if you want to find more interviews with all kinds of interesting people, why not pick up a copy of the latest magazine? That's premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. You'll be able to find what we've got on offer lately. Well, today on the programme, I'm joined by Theo Hobson. He's the author of a new book, God Created Humanism, The Christian Basis of Secular Values, published by SBCK. Theo is going to be talking about that book and about his own life and faith journey as well. Uh, And if you want to hear today's programme as a podcast, don't forget you can now access the profile as a podcast. Simply go online. I'll make sure to give you the ways to do that later on in the programme. But right now, Theo, welcome along to the programme. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you with me. I've read your stuff um, for a long time now. You've sort of been a journalist, a freelance journalist for a long time, writing for different papers and uh, websites and so on. Um, was that something you wanted to do from an early point in your life? I think it probably was. Um, I've always been interested in um, thinking about religion. Um, and I got involved in academic theology for a while. But it didn't quite suit me, so I sort of bounced back into a bit more kind of trying to communicate to a wider audience kind of writing. Um, so, yeah, I think to begin with, actually, literature. So that was mm. literature and theology together were my sort of big passions as a student, I suppose. Yeah. Where did the faith thing come in for you? Was it something you were raised with? Uh, was it something you discovered later on? Yeah, I was definitely raised... Um, C of E, uh, quite traditional, mainstream, um, partly through my school, kind of public school religion, with a Christian union, in fact, which got me uh, got me very interested for a, a few years, but um, also a slightly more intellectually sort of interest. I started reading around um, certain theological issues, uh, I think even while I was still at school, um, and in a way, a bit dissatisfied with sort of mm. the normal package I felt I was being offered. I mean, a lot of people grow up with some kind of an Anglican church going background doesn't necessarily mean they keep it. Um, mm. Often I've heard it said, in fact, that uh, often a public school kind of religious upbringing gives you just enough religion to be inoculated against it for the rest of your life. But obviously that wasn't quite the case for you. So what was it that that kept you interested um, it's difficult to know. It's, it was partly, I think, this Christian union at school that had a very intense form of uh, community and fellowship. Was and it quite evangelical? It was, yeah. but in that kind of quite liberal way of mm. uh, traditional uh, public school Anglicanism. And um, I think that did show me um, that it could be 
and it, an exciting, fun place to be. Although I did, after a few years, kind of edge away from right. it. it. It stayed with me. But also just the more mainstream Anglicanism of um, local vicars and so on. Uh, you know, I was always ambiguous about church going, which seemed mm. rather boring and old-fashioned but part of me was quite receptive to it and liked the ritual on some level Mm. and felt I'd probably come back to it maybe to think about it at least have one foot in it did you ever sort of have a point where you didn't think you believed in God or was it always sort of there more or less uh, I'd say kind of semi, you know, when I was kind of later teenage I felt I was maybe a kind of um, enlightened semi-Christian who had (laughs) moved a bit towards a more rational humanist version of religion. Um, But I felt that the tradition was always something I'd be coming back to and Mm. that I was never going to make a clean sort of atheist break with it. Mm. I mean, as you grew up and obviously met many people who wouldn't have shared your Christian faith, did that that challenge you? Did, Did you find any issues that you had to work through as you went along? Yeah, of course. I mean, I suppose at school already, most of my friend group was kind of um, agnostic or atheist or quite sort of progressive socialisty sort of people who um, had quite a sort of knee-jerk rejection of religion. And so I was very used to um, taking on that point of view and um, I suppose having a few arguments in which I... uh, I probably put the case for religion, but at that point in a rather sort of half-hearted way. Right. Um, and, and I guess it just stayed with you, the the fact that of um, that it, it, you say it kind of grounded... Well, in fact, it. as an undergraduate, I had a sort of return to a more intense right. feeling for it. Um, I was studying literature um, at a rather sort of secular university and... I suppose it put me on the spot of thinking, you know, am I into this or not? Mm. And in a sense, I felt a sort of pressure to drift away from it, right. uh, partly to sort of fit in and be be more attuned to my peers. And so I, I did feel at that point, uh, I do need to make a sort of decision that right. this matters to me. And I suppose it was a difficult time um of feeling you know somewhat alone in the first year of university and that sort of contributes to rather intense uh self-examination yeah and yeah i i began to become more passionately interested in theology also on a existential level right yeah how how did that manifest itself and you were studying literature but you did eventually go on to to do some Theology. Yeah, I, I became kind of dissatisfied with literature as a subject and most of my time was kind of reading up on theology even mm. though there wasn't a theology course right. at that university. Um, so I, I had a pretty intense time of intellectual exploration really mm. of looking into, um, I suppose, modern theology and especially especially the liberal Protestant tradition uh, also the less liberal Protestant tradition as into things like Kierkegaard as into mm. rather contrasting things like Tolstoy and socialist religion so as I was trying to sort of um, find some sort of unity within quite diverse strands of religion for a few years and then I went on to study uh, theology as a postgraduate hmm. Was there ever kind of in mind 
potentially ordination or some sort of calling to Christian ministry? Hmm. Well, I always did feel a little bit uh, detached, actually, from from church. Mm. Um, you know, even though I had a sort of maybe conversion-y or reconversion-y experience, it didn't really send me back to community. Mm. And so I was quite alone in a way with mm. trying to work these things out. You know, I would go to church sometimes, but feel, um, you know, maybe this needs radical overhaul. It's maybe <laughs> I don't fit in. That sort of thing that a lot of your listeners will be familiar with. Um, and ever since, it's been a little bit sort of tense and love-hate and uh, finding my way in. But I have a couple of times felt that I wanted to be more conventionally serving of the church. I mean, right. I do go to church yes. most of the time now. Have, have you made your peace with church at this time? Or, uh, what's the... uh, to a large extent, yeah. Yeah, to a large extent. <laughs> Only gradually, really, when I was sort of late 30s. Um, what changed, if if anything did change? Um, it happened that I was living in New York uh, a few years ago, and partly being away from my home country made me sort of feel the the need for the basic uh, sense of community, I think. Mm. So suddenly church going seemed something to embrace rather than feel tension with and kick against half the time and I thought yeah this is this is really my home even though I'm still interested in having you know one foot outside and Mm. being semi-detached it's still a sort of base and it's my core culture. Do you you think there are quite a few people like you who who have that same sort of love-hate relationship with the church? Yeah I think there are I think it is a difficult place to be um because um, it's not an easy culture to fit in with. Mm. And to be honest, a lot of um, church culture does not feel um, like good enough culture. It doesn't feel Mm. engaging enough. It doesn't feel creative enough. And so when one goes to a local church, one feels guilty about saying it, but one might be thinking, "Mm, this isn't quite this isn't quite right for me. Mm. I need something different. Mm. And it's hard to make sense of that because on one level, of course, one should humbly join in and serve and, you know. And no no church is going to meet all your expectations, I suppose, is it? That's right. On one level, you do have to be um, realistic and and say maybe this is something I should get involved with. But on another level, maybe one should preserve that slightly um, edge of descent and wanting something different yeah and for you the anglican church obviously is a very broad church in terms of the kinds of types of people and theology Mm. and churchmanship you find in it um would you say you've settled in a in a fairly sort of uh, liberal i don't know anglo-catholic type tradition what's yeah that's 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 basically my sort of home tradition um but that's as you say itself quite a broad church uh, there are some people with more emphasis on the liberal reformism mm-hmm. on certain social and political issues. That's not quite my thing. Um, there's some people who get very into the ritual in quite a conventional form of ritual way. Uh, I suppose I, I've been trying to find a sort of niche within it, which, um, which which is partly about an interest in ritual, but partly about um, trying to find a new creative way to do that mm-hmm. and try to find um, sort of art 
artsy ways to rethink ritual. Uh, I've also become more interested in doing art and making art, and that's that's part of my attempt to engage with church. So, so I've been looking for ways in which we can somehow renew that sacramental tradition. And I'm sure you've got many peers of your generation who didn't stick with church, even if though they might have had some connection with church growing up and so on, as you did. Yeah. Um, do you think that the approach you've tried to explore is something that could draw people back who have maybe think that church is irrelevant or outdated or, or whatever it might be? I hope so. But uh, on the other hand, one should be realistic that that's quite an uphill struggle because there is something about church, about Christian worship that is different and other and um, it seems strange and in a way you can't get rid of that. No, It's going to seem in a way shockingly strange to the secular mind that people are um, saying these psalms and do your Him's, secular friends still think you're a bit weird for continuing to kind of hold on to church? Yeah, I think a lot do. Um, but I suppose they've got used to it. <laughs> <laughs> He's the god-botherer of the... Well, the sort of... <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm not quite a conventional god-botherer, but, but yeah, maybe. Um, I mean, I know that you've um, got a friendship with Alain de Botton and the he's been trying to do stuff around regaining community in a secular age that maybe we lost as we've lost church-going traditions and that kind of community that that's formed. Um, do you think there's anything in that? You know, atheism 2.0, as he's called it, the the idea of uh, keeping some of the, the trappings that religion gave us for community's sake, but losing the, the supernatural dimension. Um, no, I'm not very impressed by that, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it's not quite my cup Sorry, of tea. Sorry, Alan. <laughs> um, yes, I think he's, he's quite an interesting writer. Um, but um, I think that, well, it's interesting in that it shows a desire for mm. religious traditions and forms that persists within a lot of thinking agnostics. Um, but I think it's, in a sense, an evasion of the issue to sort of try and create pseudo-religious forms mm. in, in an agnostic way. Uh, you know, I'd rather people like him would engaged with the real thing in a sense right. uh, rather than trying to create that sort of thing yeah I mean for you what's the core for you of your Christian faith what you know if someone asked you to simply mm. you know, explain why you're a Christian what, what, what would it actually consist in well I suppose it partly comes down to a kind of something a bit like social idealism, political idealism. I think that's, in a way, the thing that really hooked me in as a student of a desire for the perfect society, in a way. Mm. That kind of semi-Marxist kind of vision mm. of we, we, we do desire this perfect form of life, of human life, and um, it all goes wrong in secular attempts to do it, but there is something within the Christian tradition that works, that mm. cre- that preserves the purity of that desire um, and creates it in local forms, in realistic forms, in forms that admit they're fallible, but that do express a form of perfectionism in a sense. Mm. And it's about a moral perfectionism that uh, we see revealed in Christ that is um, available to us on one level, mm. um, that we are, we're, we're as fallible humans, we're going to uh, not create heaven on earth, but we are 
we are going to keep striving for it. Yeah. And that's that feels it, just it, like it, the true tradition. It sounds a lot then like the way you engage with Christianity and the, the reason for your Christian faith is, is, at one level, it's not so much a kind of personal me and God and my salvation. It's more a, this is the way we change the world, the way that we create the kind of society that um, we need. Yeah, well, there is also a more personal level. Maybe it's maybe it's something uh, in me that I sort of first talk about yes. the more social level. Yeah. But of, but of course, um, as at that time of being an undergraduate, mm. it was a very personal, existential thing. Of mm. this is this is also the way towards psychological wholeness, towards mm. uh, avoiding despair and depression, and this is the way in which we can be. Yeah. Um, free of those sort of things and our true selves through having this rather strange phenomenon of faith yeah. in God. Yeah. And so, yeah, faith, personal when, faith is also very central. And when it comes to others who maybe haven't gone the same route as you, are they, what kind of worldviews do you find them inhabiting and the ways that they, mm. they're looking to improve society? Or, or are they mm. even thinking along those lines? Not People aren't necessarily haven't thought about the big picture that's a that's a uh, good question i think and it's it's a really big issue for you know people who are trying to be christian these days is that um probably you're going to know a lot of people who are very impressive humanists who who are agnostics but Mm -hmm. are at least as good as you at um seeming to pursue the right things and to be decent people maybe Mm -hmm. in some ways better than oneself and that's a that's a difficult thing to make sense of, I suppose, that how come they didn't feel the need for this yeah. uh, tradition and this form of culture and this myth. Um, but it seems that that's how our society has evolved. And the way I've come to see it is that um, Christian values have spilt out into the humanist, secular humanist realm and mm. that a lot of people access them like that um and in a sense don't feel the need for the christian base of them right um so i think that's how i'd how i'd make sense of that and so this takes us to the subject of the Mm. book of course um which which is called god created humanism which is quite a provocative title really for the uh the fact that most people these days associate humanism with sort of a, an ethical form of atheism or something mm. like that mm. um and indeed you know the british humanist association website says uh, that it works on behalf of non-religious people who seek to live ethical lives on the basis of reason and humanity mm. and uh and that might be a good description you know if someone were to look for a description of how they live their life and they don't really believe in god um they might say yeah sign me up that sounds right yeah we need to live our lives on the basis of reason and humanity and live ethical lives um don't need god for yeah. that um yeah. fair enough if you want to have your sunday time theo and that may, helps you mm. to live a good life great but the rest of us don't really need it so yeah what do you say to that what well, i mean because well yeah that's that's an incredibly strong cultural assumption that we've lived in for decades now is that you can have this humanism without religion and so on. And in a sense, it's uh, true. In a sense, people do, as I just said. They do. They are capable of having a uh, humanistic outlook and so on. But I suppose I'm trying to um, unsettle that a bit, to dig a bit deeper and to say, um, well, hang on, where do those values come from? What do you mean that you're humanist? What, 
What's the basis of that? Where does it come from? How deep does it go? Is it conforming with the culture around you or is it something you've thought through for yourself? Mm -hmm. Do you have some sort of um, explanation for why this is the right way to be human? Mm -hmm. And I think, in a sense, our culture dissuades people from thinking about these really basic questions just because it's in the air, just because it's taken for granted that mm. civilized people are going to have these rational humanist outlooks. Mm. Um, so we do need to be a little bit kind of back to basics, a little bit naively kind of digging down and saying, well, hang on, why? Why do you think this? What do you really yeah. think? I mean, you, you dig into what some of the prominent voices in atheism have been saying recently on this front and you you haven't found them very persuasive so uh, ac grayling wrote a book mm. um sort of the argument for god i think it was called or the argument against god and uh and it was his case both against theism and for humanism yes i think that was a good example of the assumption that uh atheists make is that there is built into atheism a sort of humanism that if you're going to just look rationally at the world you're going to have humanist ideas about they'll, it they'll just naturally spring yeah. up once you think mm. rationally you'll see the truth of humanism and i'm trying to say well hang on is that the case does rationalism lead to humanism and before saying, we go any further mm. let's define humanism for people who maybe are thinking mm. well what exactly is this and and why is it not necessarily something that that is automatically something we would we would get to left to our own right. devices well I, I i would define it as a belief in universal human rights the equality of all human beings the desire to see all humans flourishing and so on now, in some form, in a weaker form, you could say, well, that comes naturally. It's altruism. It's mm -hmm. looking after people uh, in in your social group and so on. But I'm suggesting that a, a more hardcore humanism is this uh, universal form of it that uh, emerges in modern times mm. that uh, overcomes the more tribal form of uh, grouping and says that even that distant person in a foreign land is a fellow human that uh, should we be. should care about equally to our yeah. own kind. And if there's a culture where they're not abiding by these human rights, China, for instance, or somewhere else, then they should be. This is kind right. Of, this is right. There is a sort of bossy side to it of this is the right way to be. And this can reform the world. There mm. is a sort of evangelical agenda mm. to it mm. um, that... This is the true ideology that it would be good for all human societies to know about. Um, so I think that's that's broadly how I define humanism. And and the contention is of people like A.C. Grayling, an atheist philosopher, that we don't need religion or Christianity to get to that point of view. If we just look at the world rationally, scientifically, that's the natural conclusion we'll come to. But you're not... You're that's right. That's that that's logic. what the atheists uh, say. They they make this assumption that I think is is very um, feeble and flimsy, which is that this humanist ideology comes naturally mm. 
to human beings once they think straight once they get rid of nasty prejudices right. and bigotry and superstitions and so on once that falls away this is the natural form of civilized humanity now i think that um that's that can't be taken very seriously because if you look at history and if you look at current affairs obviously human societies are not all, mm. all dominated by mm. this uh rational humanism yeah. so in reality they are representing one tradition in mm. history yeah. which comes out of the the, the west uh, the enlightenment and i would say the christian based enlightenment mm. but they can't admit that because they have to claim that it flows from right. uh, rational thought we'll come back to this mm. in a couple of minutes time we're going to go to a break and, uh, okay. and we'll keep talking about humanism atheism christianity and uh, whether at the end of the day humanism needs God um, and, uh, and some of the other things you draw out in the book about that. My guest today is Theo Hobson. He's the author of God Created Humanism, The Christian Basis of Secular Values, published by SBCK. He's my guest today on The Profile, and uh, we're going to be continuing to dig into this. If you want to read more interviews with other interesting people like Theo, uh, then why not visit the website of our magazine, premierchristianity.com. Add slash free sample in order to get a free sample copy of the latest edition of the magazine. And we'll be back in a few minutes time with the next part of today's show. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Welcome back to the second part of today's profile interview with me, Justin Briley, brought to you as part of uh, Faith Explored every Saturday here on Premier Christian Radio. And if you want to find more interviews uh, online with various people who have joined myself and others for the profile, we of course have a podcast now. Uh, you can go and visit that at the website premierchristianradio.com forward slash the profile. And the profile brought to you in association with Premier Christianity magazine. It's a monthly title. I'm the senior editor. And uh, if you'd like to find out more about it, do go to our website as well, premierchristianity.com. But that's enough of websites and things like that. Uh, let me remind you who I'm talking to on the profile today. It's Theo Hobson. He's a freelance journalist. He's the author of a new book as well, God Created Humanism, The Christian Basis of Secular Values. And in the first half of the show, he talked to us a little bit about his own faith journey growing up and the way he's sort of had this love-hate relationship with the church, but in the end has managed to settle on it as an imperfect institution still able to do a lot of good in the world. But turning his attention now to whether the claims of humanism, uh, secular humanism in particular, are all they're cracked up to be. Um, and we sort of were talking about the fact that many of the leading voices these days, Theo, in that realm are talking about the idea that, well, if we would just concentrate on rationalism, science, get rid of prejudice and religion, we'd sort of head towards this uh, secular nirvana. You know, you mentioned in the book, it's a bit like what John Lennon sang about uh, in Imagine, mm. you know, imagine there's no heaven and we'll all end up with some brotherhood of man. You're, you're a mm. bit sceptical of that. It doesn't look like that's what always happens when, when, when that happens. Um, and and you, I think maybe we need to go back to the basics here of, of mm. what the West is. This is the, the um, context which most of these people are speaking from. And like you say, there's a kind of an assumption about the values mm. we all hold dear, equality, human dignity, and so on. Not necessarily, though, I guess, something 
that had to emerge in our culture. Yeah, I think it is there in our culture. And it, I think it is the real basic creed that we share in the West. And I think the problem is that we don't have a way of reflecting on it well enough. We, we are actually very uh, evasive and in a sense embarrassed about talking about what I call secular humanism, which is our basic creed in the West, human rights and so forth. And for some reason that in, in a sense is quite surprising, but it's not really reflected on very uh, often or very well, because of course we're all fighting over details about political policies and so on. Um, and it's a difficult thing for us to stand back and say, look, we do have an ideology in the West, and it's a good ideology. And in a sense, that's the starting point of my book, is just to say, first of all, let's look at that and ask what it is. Mm. Mm. And you build a case, as we've mentioned, that that ideology is very firmly rooted in a Judeo-Christian heritage, that it didn't just, wouldn't have just sprung up regardless that uh, in fact you know if you look at other parts of the world which haven't been influenced necessarily you, you won't necessarily find the same kinds of rights and that's right I do argue that it is a particular tradition and in a way that's the thing that we are reluctant to face up to um, secular people at least is that this ideology is not just natural it's not just there it's not just rational but it is this very long brewing tradition that came through the Christian centuries and especially uh, in the Enlightenment period and so on. Um, and that's something that's difficult to think about because in a post-Enlightenment world, we're wary of tradition. We don't want to seem limited. We want to feel like all individuals can naturally... Um, access the truth just through thinking uh, and it feels limiting to say we are indebted to these centuries and centuries of tradition and we come out of this story so I'm trying to say look there is this story in which secular humanism does gradually emerge uh, from Christian thought over the centuries and that, um, that also leads us to quite a complicated question of how Christianity is now related to secular yes. humanism. Yes, because in a sense, it's not that you're against secular humanism, per se. Um, no, quite the opposite. I say it's the right public ideology. It's a providential thing, if you like, that uh, we have this public creed in which um, um, we are united by a form of universalism that does not need uh, to take account of religion. It leaves religion to one mm. side and it says, let's um, talk about our common humanity in a way that can unite us. Um, and that involves secularism. So I affirm secularism in the sense of leaving religion to one side and doing politics in a secular way. Uh, the, the complicated thing is, how can you affirm that and also affirm Christianity? Yes, absolutely. Uh, you, you have an analogy in the book about... Um the the icing on the cake and the cake itself. So do you want to yes, draw that I said, out? I said that uh, secular humanism is um, the icing on the religious cake, which <laughs> means that it's a necessary um, top-level thing that's, in a sense, superficial, 
but it's based on these long centuries of Christianity. And, I, and I'm trying to say that we need both things. You mm. need to affirm the secular humanism that has emerged in fairly recent times. Um, and also, if you're a Christian, of course, you need to affirm Christianity that it's based on. And the complexity is that you can't merge them together. You can't mm. make one big ideology and say, ah, oh, let's have Christian humanism as the truth which we should try and make everyone agree with. Because, of course, then you wouldn't be having the secular freedom in which sure. you treat er people of other religions or no religion uh, as equal. So it's important to have this, in a sense, um, double vision or two-pronged approach mm. in which you affirm secular humanism as the right political ideology, but also you say, well, we also need Christianity because that's where it all comes from. That's the true engine of it. When you it. say we need it, though, uh, I suppose that the, the humanist, the secularist will, will turn around and say, well, I'm not saying get rid of Christianity. If you want to have your Christian mm. faith, by all means, mm. just don't let it interfere mm. with our secular values and, and the way we run society and that's what we're campaigning against when we don't want the right. the bishops in the house of right. lords and we don't want faith schools and well i have a lot of sympathy with them uh i've i've often um, made sort of liberal christian noises of saying we do need to reform certain traditions that uh don't really allow for secular freedom but on the other hand i would like those secularists to acknowledge that our common creed is not simply non-religious it's not simply um, humanist or atheist, but it does come out of these centuries uh, of religion. So it's quite a, it's quite a subtle. I, I have a feeling mm. what they'll push back with. Mm. So let me be the the devil's advocate, mm. for want of a better word, um, is look the golden rule: do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You'll find that in all kinds of cultures and religions and ethical systems. It's not it's not you know just Christianity that told us that. So. So I, they might say, you know, actually, that's something that's obviously just a human thing. That's a humanly recognised thing. You don't need a particular religion to mm. to manifest that. And and that, I suppose, is a fairly basic sort of idea in humanism. You yes. know, recognising the humanity of another person and you want the same treatment yes. as you would and, expect for yourself. Yes, and, and of course, there is some truth to that, but not quite enough, I would say, because mm. in reality... These other traditions which talk about the golden rule, it's a pretty weak rule. It it doesn't really um, it doesn't really challenge traditions of hierarchy. It doesn't really challenge tribalism. If you look at ancient China where Confucius and people were talking about this rule, if you look at ancient Greece where some philosophers were talking about this rule, it doesn't really have the power to change society. They were still it's, societies that ran on slave slavery exactly on, on exactly um, it's it's militarism. only the judeo-christian tradition that has this kind of revolutionary energy that says um this uh principle of universal love must overthrow these uh tribal traditions these hierarchy traditions these legal traditions a lot of a lot of it is about the law the ritual and the law that uh controls how we're moral and so on so a lot, a lot of these uh, ancient traditions which talk about the golden rule, what they really mean is up to a point, up right. to a point that doesn't threaten our um, social order. You see the same thing in Islam. Yeah. And from that point of view, if you're kind of just trying to get people to recognise that Christianity 
is is somewhat unique in having been able to actually affect the kind of change and social change and and bringing us into this this stage where we we really hold these values dear and they they make a difference um i mean if the the secularist just turns around and says all right i take your point theo it is thanks to christianity but we don't need christianity anymore it's you know it's it's served its purpose thank you that we it helped us to get here but mm. now we're here mm. we've kind of transcended it yeah and so 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 what i what's, think that is a very common kind of agnostic position that um says in the past yes maybe mm. we came out of christian centuries but now we don't need it anymore um I think uh, that can be rebutted by saying even in quite recent history, this is how the humanist ideal has really been energized. If you look at civil rights movement, Martin Luther King and so on, there is still a need for this intense Christian vision to really animate it. You'll have like Christopher Hitchens telling you that he just used Christian imagery, um, Martin Luther King for the civil rights movement. But it was actually just about a humanist kind of agenda. It was it was. It wasn't a religious thing deep down with him. That's that's what I've heard. Well, I think that argument, you know, is 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 not even worth responding to. It just it supplies its own rope to hang itself. It's so <laughs> absurd. You know, this man was a preacher um, talking uh, talking about religion. So, so to claim he's not nothing to do with religion is is just uh, funny. Um, and you also see it in the emergence of human rights uh, in the mid twentieth century and so on. These. There are there are um, provable Christian bases to a lot mm. of these humanist um, expressions, and also if you look at progressive politics, quite recently, its main charismatic figures have had strong links with Christianity. If you look at Obama, for example, uh, and others in in the West, there, there still is this sense that um, the Christian basis of humanism is still what really. Uh, drives its most intense yeah. uh, daring forms uh, again I'm playing devil's advocate um, just to, to challenge you on this but but again I could imagine the comeback being alright so yes there's been some good examples of religious people who have driven forward a progressive social agenda and so on but equally you know there were the slave owners who justified slavery from the bible um, there you know many secularists would argue that Christianity has been a break on Mm. types of progress um, mm. inclusion of women and, and so on so it cuts both ways i suppose yes is, is I, I mean of course of course there's um valid valid arguments to to be had there but but i think that what i would do there is just to um question the assumptions of the humanist there and say why do you think these values are what we should be promoting and yeah. and to look back a bit in their history and where they've come from and you might find that they'll probably claim to come from enlightenment humanism. So, I, and I think we can look at that, which means going back into the history of ideas and saying, well, what about that tradition? Where did that mm. come from of secular thinkers, rational thinkers? And I think there's a strong case for saying, well, they were influenced by the Christian morality around them. So if mm. you trace it back, you can find these roots to yeah. humanist thinking. I mean, the the Enlightenment, as it's called, um, it's a bit of a nebulous idea, but essentially that's where a lot of people who might call themselves secularists, atheists today, would say that's when we learnt to disestablish sort of religion from, you know, all the spheres of life that it once occupied and, and we were able to kind of 
ditch some of the superstitious thinking and that kind of thing you know it was it was really in the enlightenment that we were able to to do science properly and to be able to start mm. to to think mm. outside of religious categories and so on and and but you're saying if you if you think of the enlightenment as somehow we kind of left christianity behind at that point that's not quite true because the enlightenment right. itself was a product of Right, they were they were Christians. Most of the early Enlightenment thinkers, yeah. and a lot of them were what I would call semi-Christian uh, deists, which means yes. they believed in a rational idea of God. They stepped away from the revelation side of religion, so they weren't exactly Christians, but they were uh, not exactly atheists either. They were they were uh, acknowledging their um, belonging to this uh, tradition of morality as defined by God, and of course, the Christian God was how their idea of the moral God was formed. Mm. So, uh, and, and as I say, a lot of them were actual Christians as well. So it, it's a bit of a myth put forward by atheists that there was this clean break, um, maybe in the 17th or 18th century, from religion to secular humanism, atheism. In reality, these things came out of Protestant culture in particular. Um, and... In a lot of cases, they were driven by very committed uh, Protestants, especially mm. in the sphere of politics, because the first real challenges to what you could call theocracy or Christendom, the idea of religion and politics being uh, the same thing, these came from um, reformers, radical reformers, mm. people like Anabaptists who denounce the whole idea of worldly religion and the church and so on, they were the real inventors of the idea of religious liberty. Mm. And, of course, then it was secularized a bit and so on. So the the real history of ideas uh, is not as the uh, atheist humanists would have us believe. I mean, returning to our atheist humanist of today who says... Well, or very well. Glad, glad, glad we got here in the end. But that all we need now is the icing on the yeah. cake. We don't need the the cake underneath yeah. anymore. I mean, what? Why for you are you are you going to say no? Let's not just jettison the the cake. Um, because is it that what we do have in terms of a secular humanist philosophy isn't isn't deep enough? Doesn't that's right. That's exactly right. It is superficial because it makes an assumption that this ideology of humanism can be done in a rational way, in a sensible way, in a moderate way. Whereas in reality, if you look at this tradition of humanism, it comes out of this incredibly idealistic vision of the world being put right. It comes out of this perfectionist vision of all humanity being transformed, of suffering being mm. cured, of the kingdom of God, in a secular mm. sense, on earth. Now, that's their basic dishonesty, I would call it, <laughs> that they do not admit this uh, force of uh, positive vision and they cut it down. They, they have and, it and within reason. And do you think reason. they're not entitled to it in an atheist sort of framework? In a, in a framework where, say, we're talking about all that exists is a universe of blind forces and matter in motion. Are they not entitled to have a purpose, a, an event? You know, this is where humanity 
this is the goal of humanity. Because what the British humanists will come back with is, we make our own meaning, Theo. I accept, you know, the kingdom of God stuff you're talking about. That that was nice. But we, it's just us now. We're on our own. So we've got to make the best of it. Right. Right. Well, that's that's a, that's a uh, argument to be taken very seriously. But then when they say, and our values are humanist mm. and so on, that that is the time to say, well, what do you mean? Where does that come from? Mm. And... Um, they'll say it comes from within me, Theo. I, I've recognised I've, I've, I'm I may be a random product of the universe, but I fortunately have developed this capacity for self-reflection and realised that the best way for us all to get on together is is to be humans. Mm. Well, I mean, I don't totally dismiss that tradition of, of thought because it does come out of the Enlightenment uh, rationalism that uh, has this universalism in it. And in a sense, it was a good thing that it emerged, this idea of the rational human being, the universal vision of morality. And that's the sort of thing there. Um, still in the tradition of, they're still in the tradition of, you know, Voltaire and Locke and people like this. And um, in a sense, that's a good tradition. So I don't completely knock them and think mm. they're terrible charlatans or anything. Mm-hmm. I think it's an it's been a very important force in creating where we are now. And mm. it's, it's a good tradition, the secular humanist tradition that they are part of. But if they start getting uh, beyond that bounds mm. and saying, therefore, religion is something to be yeah. uh, moved away from, then, mm. then, then of course, it's a different matter. Okay. Do, do you feel like if, say, the West continues on the trajectory it's on, which appears to be, at present at least, away from religion... Um, the, the rise, you know, we're seeing the rise both in the US and across Europe of the nuns, those who don't claim any mm. religious affiliation. Um, obviously, the decline of church going, um, and is is it being replaced by essentially secular humanism? And mm. if if that continues, will that be fine? Will we just sort of manage with that, or, or do you think it's going to have repercussions, sort of being divorced from? the religious underpinnings. Yeah, I think there's a problem with moving away from the religious basis of it and that it will therefore become less coherent, secular humanism. It will become more fragile. It will become uh, less sure of itself. I think we're already seeing that. We're seeing it. Well, we're seeing it in um, populist reactions against mainstream progressive politics um the the idea of um openness to um openness to the world that uh, nationalism is a dubious thing that we should have moved beyond you know that that sort of thing is are we talking about donald donald trump yeah and and his travel ban for instance is that where that sort of thing yeah um those uh movements um are looking stronger than they did a decade or two ago. And that's potentially um, worrying. And I think it really signals a lack of a loss of nerve in the Western ideology, that there's a sense of we don't know how to defend our core values of Mm. universal humanism and so on. And of course, they are difficult to defend because they are so uh, idealistic, they're so mm, intense to, mm. to believe that every 
um, human being on the planet is equal, mm. you're always going to fail. You're always going to... Um, and what right have you to say over Donald Trump's America first, America first slogans that, no, Donald, you, you should you should value every human life equally? That, are you saying that we've kind of lost the kind of the impetus to, to make that moral claim? Well, I think it's still there in the American tradition, thankfully, that there is a deep sort of liberal idealism that we saw with Obama, and it hasn't disappeared just because uh, this man uh, didn't quite win the popular vote. You know, it's, it's, it's a reaction. I think it's still a reaction against mm. the dominant creed. So I, I would say that the West still does have this mm. dominant creed, which is very healthy, of secular humanism and so on. But it's a bit shakier than it was. Than it was. Mm. And that's partly about its failure to reflect on itself, its failure to see where it comes from. Um, and that lands it into problems of uh, articulation. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what, what do you think is the role of the church going forward? Because in some ways you don't, I imagine, want to go back to a theocracy, obviously, um, that, that we're not looking to so for the church to be this sort of top-down dictatorial kind of force on society. But you obviously don't want to see the church pushed out altogether either when it comes to the impact it has. Right. Well, well yeah, how, yes. It's a small question, but how do you, <laughs> how do you steer that line then going forward? Yeah, of course, I um, affirm a liberal idea of the church. Uh, I think that it should very much affirm this creed of secular humanism. It should say this is the right way for society to be and that religion works within that as a form of culture that um, can hopefully influence people uh, to a large extent. And so it's it's my you know my thesis is obviously very much against a theocratic unity of religion and politics thing but it's also saying christians should be able to affirm that they shouldn't be threatened by that mm. in a way that still a lot of christians are in our society they think it, if we're losing our last bits of cultural power um then it might all be over so we we must hang on to it i'm saying no we need to um in a sense, give up that whole mindset and affirm the good in secularism. And of course, that's the direction that the churches mm. have roughly been taken yeah. for many decades. Sometimes by force, it's not necessarily always by choice that the church has given up its privileges uh, in society. But as that increasingly happens, and what what is the role then for the church? Is it to just sort of be a nice place to go on a Sunday or, or do you think it does have a sort of important role in the infrastructure and the, the, the way society runs? Well I think it must try to be an attractive form of culture mm -hmm. that talks a lot about the humanist values we all share and it mm -hmm. shows itself to be in a sense the engine of that humanism. The source of those values. Yeah, the source yeah. of those values. And to a large extent it does that by being prominent mm. in certain social campaigns and political campaigns and by um, at least most parts of the church talking a lot about human rights and so on. So I think in a, it, to a large extent it, it's doing okay with yeah. that, of, of showing itself to be um, the source of the humanism that the rest of us mm. share. Um, there's also other things it needs to do differently, I think, partly about um, 
how it relates to culture and how it needs to be more creative and in a sense move away from some of its old models yeah and to to that extent my my view is and you welcome to disagree is that for me we can you know humanist christian whatever we can all probably agree on a certain set of values that we all hold common um the problem is whether that inspires enough to go out and do that and actually make a difference and what i do tend to see christianity do is it makes people go and do stuff you know it is often the churches who are running mm. the food banks the, the the homeless shelters the mm. now i'm not saying atheists and humanists don't do that i'm sure they do but nonetheless the, the church does seem to have a record in actually inspiring people to live out the values that they profess Yes, I think it does. And I think in in very sort of quiet ways, it's there um, making a difference to culture. I think the witness of, you know, sensible, clever priests just who are part of all sorts of institutions and so on is is, is a very important thing that's not remarked upon much, but it does uh, have an influence on who we are as a society. Yeah. It's been great to talk to you, Theo. Thank you very much again. The book is available now, God Created Humanism, The Christian Basis of Secular Values. And uh, it's published by SBCK. If you want to listen back to today's programme, I'll remind you, premierchristianradio.com forward slash the profile. You can pick up the podcast there and listen to other episodes of the show as well. And uh, you can also hear and watch and indeed read more interviews at the Premier Christianity magazine website. That's premierchristianity.com. I've been Justin Briley, your host for today's show. Theo Hobson, thank you for joining me on The Profile. Thanks very much. Welcome to Cape and Ray Hall, nestled in the beautiful landscapes between England's national parks. As a Bible school, we offer short-term courses aimed at fostering your spiritual growth and living in a community. Our historic manor house has something for everyone. You can enjoy indoor and outdoor adventures, connect with students from around the world, and learn how to deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ. Search Cape and Ray England for more information.